Hey, this is Brandon Emma Richardson, and we are the pastors here at Slate Church based in Waterloo, Ontario, and this is our Sunday podcast. We really hope this message inspires you to lean into all that God has for you. If you would like to get connected with us, follow us on social media or go to slatechurch.com. And hey, it helps us a lot if you would rate, review, subscribe, and share this podcast. Join us for today's message. How's everybody doing today? You're doing well? Lights are coming on. I got to see everybody. It's good to see you guys. It's good to see um, some, some uh, familiar faces back from their travels abroad. Lily and Tanner, you guys always get a good shout out. Um, but it is nice to see you guys. Um, just good to see everybody that's here this morning, and, and uh, it's good to, to be in the house of God. On the way here today... Um, I was thinking about how beautiful it was outside, and then we had the announcement for our Christmas production, and uh, I was like, man, it, it feels like, like it shouldn't be this close, but today makes it feel a little bit closer, doesn't it? Our Christmas production is in two weeks. I just want to remind everybody that it's not like some dist- distant date in the future, so if you're still like waiting for it to feel like Christmas, um, or you're, you're waiting to like send out invites until we get closer, like I just want to give you the heads up that we are, we are nearly there. And it's uh, probably a good idea to start inviting people now um, because we are almost at Christmas. Every year it gets just a little bit closer. We've got neighbors across the street that put on a a complete light show in Heidelberg and uh, blinds us. It's a little bit like that scene in uh, Chevy Chase Christmas Vacation. I don't know if I'm allowed to watch that as a pastor, but I did uh, once. uh, Multiply that by like 12. But um, when he turns on the lights and then all of a sudden the neighbors across the street get blinded and uh, everything starts um, um, falling apart in their house and whatever else, that's what it's like at our house right now because the neighbors have turned on the lights and it is blaring. And by Christmas show, I don't mean like they have a few lights on their house. I mean like this is a destination for people in, in the area to go. If you just look in the direction of Heidelberg and see lights moving in the sky, it's not the northern lights, it's my neighbor. And uh, you might as well just come out and check out the show because it's, it's pretty good. Okay, today we are continuing our uh, series on Set Apart. I believe that this is the final week and then next week we are actually um, starting into Advent. Am I right on saying that? Advent. And uh, we're going to be, be talking about the, the themes of joy, hope, peace um, as it comes to Christmas time and observing some of the ways in which um, the, the, the groanings of creation wait for the Savior of the world. And we're going to follow those themes as we um, go into the Christmas season here. For today, we have an interesting topic. And uh, as I was um, preparing for this, I, I was thinking about how we have so many guests in the room today with uh, dedications and whatnot. And, and we're going to be talking a little bit about like money. And we're going to be talking a little bit about what it looks like 
um, what, what we do with the fruit of our labor, what we do with the produce of our labor. But if you're wondering at all about what Christianity is all about, I think you need to know what God says about money, even if you're a visitor, kind of um, wondering what, what, what is the church's relationship with money and all the rest. I think it's important for you to know because um, it's, it's a topic that sometimes doesn't feel like they go well together, right? There's so much scandal that's happened between money and nonprofits and specifically the church. And, and uh, today we want to dispel some of that, but we just want to talk briefly on what do we do with what comes from our work, what comes from our, um, our labor. So today I just want to read out our guiding verse. This is often the guiding verse that I draw us back to anytime we talk about money uh, in the church. And the reason I do that is because it's kind of the foundation for everything else we talk about when it comes to our finances. And so what we find in Matthew chapter 6, 19 to 21, Jesus is speaking. He says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and, and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Why don't we pray today? Jesus, this morning as we gather here today and, uh, you know, we, we kind of gather out of the cold and the snow, snow and, and the blowing uh, winds and all the rest. God, we, we find some level of comfort just sitting in this warm theater, um, being cozy in these chairs and all the rest. But God, ultimately what we come here for is not just a respite from the weather, but God, we come here for a, a, a word from you. God, we come to hear and learn about uh, uh, who you are, more about who you are. We have questions in this room about who you are. And uh, God, today we pray that you would guide us into the truths that you have for us. Jesus, we thank you for um, safe travels here. We thank you once again for all of the children that we were able to dedicate to you just a moment ago. And God, we pray that uh, you would bless those families and bless our time here together. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Um, I want to talk about uh, this morning. So uh, during this Set Apart series, we've had a collection of talks and messages over the last number of weeks that have to do with the various aspects and the various parts of how we work, why we work, the fact that work isn't bad, um, that work isn't a, a result of sin, but before there was even sin in the world, work was something that we were given as a gift. And we've walked through all of these different themes, which leads us to our final week. And the final week is talking about what's on the other side of work. Why do we work at all? And we're going to use this term, fruits of our labor, uh, continuously throughout our time together in the next few minutes together. And the reason we're going to give that, that, that term is because it's a, it's a terminology and it's language that the Bible has used for, well, since, uh, since the Bible was the Bible. And, uh, and, and we read it over and over again, this idea of fruits of our labor. Now, we're going to talk about first fruits, which I'm going to explain what that whole concept is within Scripture. But we're also going to talk about the fruits of our labor and, and what we're to do with those things. Because at the end of the day, the last four weeks or the last three weeks, we've been talking about why we work, how we work, all of the rest of that. Now we need to talk a little bit about what we do with what, what happens after we work. You know, we don't just work for the sake of working, but after we're done working, we're left with finances, we're left with resources, we're left with a product. And the question today is what do we do with what is left over? 
You see, the reason that it's important to talk about this is because if we were to analyze um, a lot of the stress that a lot of us are carrying in the room today, a lot of it has to come from the expectations we have on ourselves of the things we should purchase or the things that we should have accumulated at this point in our lives or the things that we should have been able to, to have or, or, or whatever else. I remember one time uh, in our lives, Em and I were driving around a beaten up old Volkswagen station wagon. Um, and it was, it was gray. Some of you will remember this. It was a hatchback. And uh, as we drove this thing around, it just got worse and worse. There was a number of occasions that we'd be riding this thing around, driving this thing around, and uh, we'd have to, like, stop on the side of the road because it stopped working. We'd have to pray for it, and we'd just, like, pray that it would keep going. And it would. Like, it's just, like, continuously. I remember one time I have Jason having to come, my father-in-law, who was just up here on the platform, having to drive all the way to, I believe it was Markham, to, like, deliver some type of fluid. I, I wish I knew what the fluid was, and I wish I could tell you that I learned something about my car that day, but I'm just not that guy. Um, He delivered some type of a fluid that would get us home, and it wasn't gasoline. If you're like, man, you literally, like, you need to know more about your car. It wasn't gas. It was something else that goes in the engine, okay? And I remember him showing up and having to deliver this thing, and we got it into our car so that I could drive the car home. It's like 3 in the morning. And I remember consistently kind of looking at um, friends of mine that we went to university with, similar stage of life of, as us, and, you know, they would be driving around, like, nice cars and stuff, and, and they'd be driving things that I wish, I only wish I could drive, and, and I'm like, man, look at them and what they get to drive, and, like, what a great car, and can you imagine if your car didn't break down every time you drove it, like, how amazing would that be, and there's always this temptation inside of each and every one of us to look to the left or look to the right or to look up or to look below, comparing ourselves to our fellow human beings and wondering whether or not we are, we are making it in, in our human plight, whether or not we have what we should have or whether or not we should have something that we don't have or sometimes from the posture of feeling like we've really done a good job comparing ourselves to those that we, um, we do life with. Here's the reality. C.S. Lewis um, wrote this a number of years ago. He said, he who has God and everything has no more than he who has God alone. This is the basis of the Christian faith, is that you can have God in everything in this world, and you have absolutely nothing more than the person that has only God. Why? Because God is our sustenance. He is our providence. He is our prosperity. He is the one that we are looking for and searching for in our lives. G.K. Chesterton, famous for the saying that every man that knocks on the door of a brothel is looking for God. What does that mean? Because the first time you hear it, it almost sounds, it almost sounds um, offensive in, in the way of like, what do you mean that those that knock on the doors of brothels and strip clubs are looking for God? What J.K. Chesterton is getting at is he's saying, listen, all of us are searching for God. Our deepest longings are for God. When we want to buy that new car to impress our neighbor, what we're really looking for is not the affirmation of a neighbor, but for the deep affirmation of a heavenly father that says we are okay because we are created by him and we are perfected in his image. What we are really looking for behind all of the sin that we struggle for is a connection with the creator of this universe. He who has God and everything has no more than he who has God alone. See, on the other side of our work, we're left with like some some cool stuff. I remember learning this as a kid, like uh, I didn't realize, but during the ages of like 15 and 19, I wish somebody would have told me that you have like the most expendable income that you're probably ever going to have. 
It's like, why did I miss that lesson in high school that, like, that's the time to, like, live it up because it's not going to happen again. I remember blowing my money on ridiculous things. I, like, I, I mean, at one point I realized I, I don't want to blow all of my money on ridiculous things. But I dated Emma when I was 17 years old. And I remember four months into dating her, Christmas time comes around, and I buy her, like, a $1,000 necklace. And I'm just like, I'm so in love with this girl. And I I look back on this, and I think of my own kids and what my parents must have been thinking as I blow, like, four weeks of pay at the time on a necklace for this girl that I've just met. And I'm like, she is going to love me so much for this. And it didn't stop there. I remember the first Christmas, not only did I buy her that necklace, I got her this, like, purple sweater that I I still remember to this day. Today, Emma's wearing this purple sweater. I'm like, that's, like, the first sweater that I bought you. I'm, like, so, like, nostalgic. And I'm like, man, it's such a great day. I got her this puzzle that I uh, put together. It was a puzzle of the lady and the tramp, and I put it all together. I used a cardboard to flip it over onto the other side. I wrote her this nice love letter, and I broke up the puzzle, and I gave it to her for Christmas. I'm like, put this together. There's a surprise for you on the other side. And even right now, um, she, like, glued it together. Maybe, did you glue it together? You glued it together. For a second, I thought that maybe my in-laws glued it together. I'm like, that would be a weird part of the story if they helped glue the love letter together for her. But it's in a frame, and she can read it. And, like, I just remember, like, money being this thing that, man, I could do anything with this money. And all of a sudden, you get a little bit older, and bills start to hit. And all of a sudden, you get a mortgage, which at first, you're like, man, I bought a house. Like, you just think you're a king of the universe. If you've ever bought a house or you want to buy a house, that moment of, like, signing is like, like, you're like the king of the universe. We bought our first house the day after Kensington was born. Kenzie was born. The next day, Jason and I go in. We, like, put an offer on a house. We get it. I come home. Emma's like, did you get the house? I'm like, No. And she's like, I forgot her hormones would be all over the place. She's like bawling her eyes out, like immediately. It was like somebody turned on a tap. She's like, oh, my gosh. I'm like, no, we did. And she's like, never joke like that again. And, and of course, her cry is much more, like, beautiful than what I just did. But that's besides the point. I remember, like, just feeling like a king. And the next day waking up and realizing, like, I got to pay for this thing. What did I do? Why did I buy this thing? Like, there are, there are better ways to spend my money. All of a sudden, the, the septic tank goes on my house recently, and, and not completely, but, like, the, the top is cracked. And I'm like, how much is it going to cost? Like, all of a sudden, you start to realize our relationship with money is so fickle. It's so futile. It's so up. It's so down. And what we need is not to be tossed to and fro by the waves of the culture that we live in and the commercials that we see and the billboards that we look at on the way into Toronto as we try to enjoy a nice day with our families. What we ought to do is we need to get a perspective on possessions and money and things that is far above that in which a marketing company can come up with at the beginning of their fiscal year. We need to understand that God has a way to look at this that allows us to be at peace with the things that we own so that they don't own us and the things we want to receive because we understand where our provision really comes from and the reality that everything we have is truly from God. Randy Alcorn, I've been reading through his book, Money, um, Treasures, Money, and Possessions, and he says this within it. He says, our use of money and possessions is a decisive statement of of our eternal values. What we do with our money loudly affirms which kingdom we belong to. We started off with where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This very familiar verse for many of us in the room about what Jesus says. 
You know, for a lot of us, all we need to do is take a look at our credit card statements to know where our priorities lie. For me right now, my priorities lie in not making myself lunch and eating out. I just want to be like completely like, in fact, my priorities lie at Chick-fil-A. I'm just like going to, just in case you're like, well, where do your priorities lie? Like you look at my credit card statement, Chick-fil-A is on there like 50% of the time. It's, it's unfortunate. <laughs> Please pray for me. Where do your priorities lie? What are your finances telling you about what you prioritize in your life and what your allegiance is to? This idea of first fruits comes out of the idea that what we bring in from God or what we receive from God, we have a responsibility to give a portion back to him. This, this whole idea of first fruits comes um, from the Old Testament. As early as Leviticus, we read verses like Leviticus 23.10 where it says, when you come into the land, God is saying, when you come into the land that I have promised you, which I give you, and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priests. In Proverbs 3.9, it affirms this. And over and over again in the Old Testament, it will talk about the first fruits, and it will affirm this. It will say, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all of your crops. What are we talking about when we talk about first fruits? What we're talking about is that the first of what we receive from a harvest. Now, many of us in the room right now are not farmers. Some of us are farmers, so we get this. It's very easy to understand and all the rest. But many of us are not farmers. We don't live in a, um, a bartering system anymore. We've created, uh, we've created uh, financial means and, and things of, uh, like, like uh, uh, I was about to say, like, paper money, we can, like, trade for things, but now it's not even just that. Digital currencies, we've created currency to be able to take the place of what agrarian societies, I'm sure I didn't say that right, used to do um, a, a long time ago. And this whole principle that we ought to give back out of the first fruits of what God has given us after the harvest stems from this type of a society. But it carries on into the New Testament, and the encouragement is, is that the produce of everything we bring in, we should be giving a portion back to God. There's a story in Genesis chapter 4 of two different brothers. And uh, what it says about these brothers is this. It says, in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. If you're familiar with this story, Cain is so upset that God has uh, accepted the offering of his brother and not his own offering that it actually says that Cain goes out and kills Abel over this whole ordeal. That God loves Cain, that he loves what, what Cain, or, sorry, that he loves Abel and what he gave in the heart of Abel more than Cain. And one of the questions that I continuously ask my kids when we go through stories like this, because like in a four-year-old's mind, they just can't understand, right? What is it that God was actually upset with between Cain and Abel? Because if we learn earlier, uh, sorry, if we learn about Cain, what we realize is that Cain worked with vegetables. Cain worked with the produce of the land. Cain worked with things. The things that Cain brought to God are the things that Cain produced through his labor. The things that Abel brought, which was sheep and the fat portions of the, of the, the first sheep, that's what, like, like, Abel was able to bring that because, because he worked with the sheep. He, he was a shepherd. He took care of the flocks. And so when we look into the story, what we quickly realize is that God is not, not upset with the type of gift that was brought by each of these brothers. What upset God was that Abel brought the first of what 
uh, he was given from God. Gave, Abel gave the firstborns of, of what he was responsible for. But when it comes to Cain, Cain brought the leftovers of what was left at the end of the, at the, end of the day. What we see through the story of Cain and Abel is that only four chapters into the Bible, God is interested in what we do with what he's given us. As what one author said a long time ago, tithing isn't really giving, it's returning. <laughs> like some of us, when we give back to God, we, we, we sometimes think like, man, we are, we are, we are, we're so generous with God. <laughs> like some of us in our hearts, we feel like, man, by me giving back to God at what I have, like I, I'm being generous to the church. I'm being generous to God. I'm being generous at, with, with the things I've been getting. We pat ourselves on the back sometimes for the giving that we give back to God. But as this, as this author wrote, tithing isn't really giving, it's returning. It is bringing back to the Lord what is already his. The starting point for Christian finances and the starting point for all that we have is believing in our core that everything we have is actually from God. It's from that place we get to work out our idea of what it actually looks like to to honor God with our finances, with our wealth, because we work from it from a place of understanding that what we're really talking about is not what we've earned from a job, but what God has provided from from a place of divine providence and the things that he's actually given us. The idea of first fruits is that we don't wait till the end of our paycheck and the end of our pay to give God what he deserves. Now, the Bible is full of these different kind of practices and, and different things that instruct us in how we ought to prioritize God in our lives. So when we talk about money and finances, we might think like, oh man, like it's so greedy for the church to create a book that's all about you know, God and then instruct us so many times to like, give to God money and the first fruits. Like, what, what, what do you mean? Like, like if we get really cynical, we can start to look at this type of stuff and we can start like, creating a narrative that has nothing to do with the idea that God just wants everything you have. He does. He wants our whole lives or, or that he wants our entire paycheck or somehow the church just wants your money. What we actually see within scripture is that God is more interested in getting your heart and your allegiance that you would be following him with everything you have, and that's why he wants the first out of everything that you have. The reason is because the first thing that comes into my mind around any given area ought to be putting God first in my mind. So I think Jared maybe even mentioned priorities last week and this idea that what is the first thing that you do when you wake up at the beginning of the day with your time? For many of us, including myself, and I'm trying to break this habit, It's turning to my side table, grabbing my phone, and immediately checking if I have any messages from anybody in the world anywhere. (laughs) And I say it like that because it's like, if I didn't get a text from somebody, I go to my email. And I'm like, maybe I got somebody from some, something from somebody anywhere here. (laughs) And if I don't get any, any emails, then I go to my Instagram. Like, maybe I got a message from somebody somewhere here. (laughs) And we go through all of these things because we're waiting to distract us. What we do with the first of everything in our lives says a lot about what our priorities are with God. There's this idea of the Sabbath, and God was um, God demonstrated this even in the way that He created the world. It says for six days God created the world, seventh day He rested. Well, the idea of a Sabbath um, is not only about taking rest, and it's not only about um, uh, being filled up by God. It's all of those things, but it's also about a statement to the world in who we trust in. 
You see, in a, in a society where farming was like the, the, biggest, the biggest supply of blessing to a community, taking one day off out of the week spoke to all of the other societies during this time, time period that our God can do in six days what you can't do in seven days. The Sabbath was a statement to all of the peoples on the earth that there's this group of people, there's these, this group of people that is dedicated to God, and for some reason they take off one day, a work, uh, one day a week where they dedicate it to their God, and they miss out on the produce and the, the productivity that they could have during that day, and instead they dedicate it to God, and somehow they still have more than us. All of the other nations would look at the Israelites in the Old Testament and they would see that the, this, this peculiar people that had all these interesting things that, they, that they, they would do, that as they gave this day over to God, somehow they were more blessed than all the other nations on the earth. Which was to say that God could do with six days with the Israelites that the other nations could not do with seven days. Over and over again within Scripture, God will ask for a piece of our time, a piece of our attention, a piece of our finances, a piece of our relationships, and ask us to put him first in order to know whether or not our allegiance is with him, but also to reorient the ways in which we spend our money and the things that we have. As a kid, it may have been understandable why I might take my paycheck and immediately wonder what video game console I could buy. (laughs) It's like, Basically, my kids get a $5 bill, and they're like, can we go to the store? And I'm like, what? Like, I just got $5. I'm like, where did you get that from, and what do you mean you want to go to the store? Like, well, I have money. I need to spend it. And it's like, that's okay. Like, it's okay for a child, their initial reaction, to be like, I have money. What do I want to buy? But part of maturing as a Christian, and even if you're not a Christian in this place and you're exploring Christianity or whatever else, It is important to grow up as an adult not having that same knee-jerk reaction when money gets deposited in our accounts. The first thing that shouldn't be on our minds is not the same thing that's on a five-year-old's mind when they receive money, which is, I have money. I want to spend it on something. God is trying to get us to think deeper about the things he's given us by saying, listen, when I give you something, don't just go spend it on your own stuff. Give it to me. I can do more with 90% than you can with 100%. I can do more with what, what, with what you're, you're left with after you give and return back to me than what you can do with the whole thing. Tithing is this interesting thing. First fruits are this interesting thing. Because as much as a lot of us might say, hey, I, I agree with this, or um, uh, I believe tithing is important, or maybe you read it within scripture, a lot of us, unfortunately, um, don't actually practice it. You know, there's a bunch of statistics that came out um, a few years ago. And out of all adults, I think these states, uh, these, um, these polls were done in, in America. Um, but out of 17, sorry, 17% of adults claim to tithe, but the studies that they did on the perspective of giving and tithing and all the rest showed that only 6% actually do. So what we have here is not just an issue of like money and finances and giving and all the rest. What we actually see is that there's also just an issue of like being honest with ourselves about what we actually do with our money. Um, Further on in this study, it said that a third of Christians claim to tithe, but that household, sorry, household data revealed that only an eighth of Christian households actually tithe. So now we're talking not just about like adults within the United States. We're talking about like confessing Christians 
A third of them would say, hey, I tithe. But then you look at household data, and it reveals that only an eighth of households actually tithe. And one of the questions that we have to ask ourselves is, why did the Savior of the world spend 15% of his recorded words on the subject of money, 15% of his recorded, recorded words on the, the, the subject of money and possessions, if it's not something that we should be talking about ourselves. So at the end of this, this series on, on uh, being set apart and at the end of this series of, of talking about our work, one of the things that we wanted to bring our attention to is this idea that on the other side of work, we earn something. We earn either this, this, this money that we've earned from or we earn possessions, we earn something from the labor of our work. And the question is, is what are we going to do with what we've been given by God? Because within scriptures, it talks about this idea of possessions and money more than, more than double faith and prayer combined. The, the, the Bible talks more about these things, not because the church is somehow obsessed with this, not because somehow the Bible is obsessed with it. We've said this before, but it's because we as people are obsessed with finances. We're obsessed with, obsessed with possessions. We're obsessed with all of these different things. And what God is asking us to do is to put him first in this area of our lives because it will radically transform what we do with the other areas of our lives. You know, and one of the things that I regret as a pastor, and I'm only a decade in, but one of the things that I regret as a pastor is that every year we come to April and we do a finance series. And we do four weeks on this and we talk about it and we lead up to this large give. We call it Heart for the House. And it's once a year we give above and beyond our regular giving. And we lead up to this thing. And I don't know about those of you that have taken part in Heart for the House in the past, but isn't it a wonderful statement of what God's up to in our church? This past year, we gave $440,000 on one weekend. And what it allowed us to do is actually to go and purchase our first uh, building as a church, a place that we now operate. It's pretty, it's pretty fantastic. And we do this once a year, but one of my regrets as a pastor is we only have in the past talked about finances and money and possessions once out of the year over a four-week span. And you know, what we see within scriptures is that we actually see a God that talks about money within his, his, his holy book twice the amount that he does prayer and faith combined. Randy Alcorn, again, kind of being asking the question from the perspective of a skeptic, says this, how could the Bible's author and editor justify devoting twice as many verses to money, about 23, uh, 2,350 of them, than to faith and prayer combined? How could Jesus say more about money than about, than about both heaven and hell? Didn't he know what was really important? So why am I reading all of this? Why am I saying all that I'm saying today? Why at the end of our Set Apart series are we talking about finances? Because we ourselves are not talking about finances with God nearly enough. Maybe as a church, sure, I can take that on as a responsibility myself, and I can lead us into greater conversations on this. But as individuals, the question that I would ask all of us to ask ourselves is, are we being honest before God with how we treat the things that he's given us? Because the way that we treat our money and our possessions and the things that God's given us will tell us a lot about where our spirits are headed and what God's able to do in our spirits and how surrendered we are before him. See, I want to be a church that doesn't have a bunch of people saying that, hey, yeah, I, I give back to God, but don't really do in their hearts. It would be better to say that I don't give to God. 
But I also want to be a church that understands what God is up to in the financial realm so much that we don't struggle with whether or not we should be giving back to God at what he's given us. Finances sets the parameters for a healthy um, uh, look at money and wealth in our lives. And it sets the healthy parameters for the rest of what we do with money in our lives. And what I mean by this is the moment that you give for our family, um, we give above and beyond. We give, um, you know, offerings. And at the once a year, we give that. We have a generosity line in our budget. So beyond our tithe and our offerings and all the rest, we also just have a set, of, a set amount uh, set to the side that anytime there's a need in our community or we see somebody in need or whatever else, we have a, a number that we have set aside and we just don't have to ask ourselves whether or not we can afford to give it. We, we just budget to give above and beyond our regular giving. That's something that we do as a family. And we do all of this. And what I can tell you is that even when it comes to our tithe, the first thing that happens the moment that you give back to God is you realize, oh crap, I only have 90% left. I better be smart with this. (laughs) One of the things that tithe has done for us in our lives is that it's caused us to have a budget, right? All of a sudden, tithe isn't just providing like, hey, I gave back to God, I got him off my back. Next time I hear a money, money message within church, like I can just like, I can rest assured that I'm like in the good. What it does is it not only allows you to understand, hey, my heart is surrendered to God and I, I'm, I'm set, I'm, I'm right with God and all the rest. The other thing it starts to do is it starts to allow you to analyze whether or not your the rest of your money is being used wisely. You start to set a budget. You start to ask priorities around your finances. You start to prioritize what you should spend your money on and what you shouldn't spend your money on. What I have noticed, and it has still yet to be proven wrong, is that those that tithe back to God, I have never met somebody that's in want that has been tithing to God. And if you are here today and you're going, I can't put money, I can't put food on my table, but I tithe, please tell me. But every time I've challenged this over 10 years, there's not been a single person that says, I tithe, and yet there's something in my life that, that, that I, can't, like I can't survive because I've been doing this. What I've noticed is that for some reason, God tends to bless the 90% that is left for those that have been giving back to him more than often what people are trying to do with their 100% outside of the church. And right now I'm trying to thread that needle between a prosperity gospel and a poverty gospel and just say, I don't know what happens in the spiritual realm, but what I do know that happens is that God takes care of those that are obedient with their finances before him. What I also want to say is that in a season that we're coming into, like Christmas and all that's coming up and all of the stresses and even just having people over in the Christmas season can be a, a particular type of stressor because all of a sudden you have to buy this food and you're hosting and For some of us, maybe we're just feeling the tightness of finances during just a busy season of a lot of giving and all the rest. What I can say is this, is test God in your finances by giving back to him and see what he will do in your life. Chike at the beginning of this service spoke a verse out of Malachi and it said, test the Lord in your tithe. Do you know that that is the only time within scripture that the Bible tells us to test God? Nowhere else in scripture will you read that we are to test a God in anything. In fact, the Bible will say in multiple parts, do not test the Lord your God. Except for in Malachi where it says, test the Lord with your tithe. Now, I want you to know that this is not a ploy to try to get your money as a church. We're doing really well financially as a church and we continue to budget well. We continue to, we got Ben on staff and he helps keep us straight and all. Like, they're, they're, we're doing well. 
If you're skeptical that a message like this is just about getting more money from you and you haven't started tithing, spend the first two months tithing to another church in our city. Just so that you know this has nothing to do with Slate getting your money. For two months, I think at some point you should probably like wisely bring your tithe back to the church you go to, but spend two months. If you've never tithed, tithe to Creekside this week. Tithe to Koinonia this week. Tithe to um, WPA this week. I don't care where you tithe. Give your money to somebody that something that, that God is responsible for and watch what God starts to do with the 90% that is left. I am telling you that what this is about is not getting you to give money to our organization. What this is about is making sure that before God, you can have the sense of peace that those of us that are in the room that are tithing have before God that says, listen, I am a child of God that is taken care of by God. Everything that I have is of God, and he is taking care of my every need my whole life because he is in control in my life. You need that kind of peace in your life this season as we hear words like recession, as we have the pressures of people coming over. So what I want you to do is to test God in your tithe. Go give your money somewhere else and just see if potentially God might do more with the 90 in your life than what you could do at the 100%. Sound good? Man, I get passionate about finances um, simply because I had family members in my life that instilled this in me as a young boy. And what I can say is that even when Em and I were making $1,000 a month as pastors, she was working at Zares trying to do a master's degree. And at home, I think we were eating macaroni like five days a week. Not true, because we would just go over to my in-laws and eat there. <laughs> We've never stopped giving. And what we can tell you is that we have experienced God's blessing in our life I think, because God is in control of everything that we bring in. Listen, we gotta get out of this theater quick. Um, child dedications just took too much time. It certainly wasn't my message. <laughs> Why don't we stand up and pray? I'm just gonna pray over us in this room and it's just gonna be a quick prayer and um, then we're just gonna exit this morning. We, we're not gonna finish with a song and we're gonna allow enough time for the next service to come in. Hey. I don't, want to, I don't want to pray for those that, that feel like it's time to start giving back to God today. Could you raise a hand if you feel like you got it? Because that's just awkward. Um, can we all just bow our heads, close our eyes? I want to pray for the opposite this morning. If today you're just feeling the, the financial pressure of the life that we're living right now, food prices going up, gas prices, whatever it might be, and you're just looking for provision from God, um, I want to remind you, because some of you, this is the first time you've heard a financial message at Slate Church. We are not a prosperity church, but we are certainly not a scarcity or poverty church either. We are a church that believes in biblical principles around finances. Um, but I do want to pray for God's blessing over your life today if you're feeling just the weight of, of the world we're living in right now financially. If that's you, can you just, every head bowed, eye closed, just raise a hand, just representing, say, God, I need your provision this season. If that's you, just raise a hand. God, there are many of us in the room right now, we're feeling the, the tightness of maybe rising uh, prices and commodities and all the rest. And God, we are just asking you right now in this season that you would provide. God, for some of us, that might mean starting to test you in our tithe. And I pray that that would go well for people. And God, I pray that you would show us the blessing of, of surrendering our finances to you. But God, for those of us, regardless of our situation in this room, and what's been going on in our lives, God, I pray that you would provide in miraculous ways. God, show us this week and this month and this Christmas season, show us that you are a good father in the way that you provide for your children. God, I pray this in your name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Well, guys, have a great week. Travel safely on the roads. 
And uh, we'll see you back here next week, but make sure you're also gathering with your local as well. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to our Sunday podcast. To hear more messages like these, be sure to share and subscribe. We're thankful for all that God is doing in our church right now. We would love to have you be a part of what is going on. You can connect with us by filling out a connect card online at slatechurch.com. And hey, stay tuned for more content coming soon.